Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. Uh, I'm switching it up a little bit this week, um, going solo. Don't have a guest, it's just me. That is kind of my own fault, but uh, just wanted to hop on here and, and talk a little bit about the Guardians and what we're seeing from them after the first week. And if I'm being honest, I'm liking what I'm seeing. And it's not even that I'm surprised at what I'm seeing. It's more a pleasantly surprised, but just how good we look early on already. Um, you know, the second series, we're, we're facing Oakland and, you know, Oakland's not really going to go anywhere this season. So you kind of take how we look against them with a, a grain of salt. But I've always subscribed to the fact that no matter who you face, I mean, those guys are professionals either way. So um, but definitely the first series against Seattle, uh, we dropped the opener uh, started by Shane Bieber, who, by the way, looks like Shane Bieber. Right. So no surprises there but to get the the next three out of four and, and take take a series win going into oakland was definitely something that I, I don't take lightly um you know seattle is a playoff bound team they made it to the playoffs last year they're gonna be one of those upstarts again this year and you never know i mean it could be a, a playoff series preview uh we have them again for the the home opening series uh this weekend but you never know. It could be Cleveland and Seattle again in October, and that would be something that I look forward to. So to get out of there with a series win um, definitely makes me feel good, not only about being able to beat them, but what they could do in carrying that, you know, the rest of the season. Because um, as we know, Cleveland typically does not start out very well. They're a second half team. We all know that. So if they can look this good, through most of the first half, then that's just going to set us up towards the rest of the season, especially going into the second half when we all know the Guardians play their best ball going into uh, the postseason, which we definitely need this year because I don't think that it'll be as easy as it seemed last year. Um, we were in the lead for the division for quite a while, and it seemed like it was going to be, you know, just, just an, an easy going. I do want to point out some performances from that series because um, – to take away some good and some bad, I mean, first off, Shane Bieber, even though we lost that game, he, like I said, looked like Shane Bieber. I think as long as he's healthy this year, I'm not saying that he's going to win the Cy Young again, but he'll definitely be the ace that I think the Guardians need him to be, um, despite, you know, some velocity dipping. He'll be what we need him to be, and he'll be consistently good to lead this team, especially right now when you have Tristan McKenzie out. Uh, for the next seven weeks, at least, who knows how long that's going to go. But for that first game, um, six scoreless innings, you know, giving up six hits and he only struck out three people. But that's not really an issue for me. I'm not going to take that with too much weight. And Aaron Savali also looked really good. He's somebody else that I think as long as he stays healthy, he will look like he did a couple years ago in that first half of before. His second half was just derailed by these weird injuries. And in, in his one start, he went seven innings scoreless. He only gave up two hits and walked one person. So uh, going into this upcoming series 
Uh, Aaron Savali is scheduled to start that Friday opener against Logan Gilbert. Um, he's going to be somebody that we need to lean on, just like Bieber with the absence of Tristan McKenzie so far. But enough about that series. We want to move on now to the Oakland series because that's what we have right now. Um, I'm very... I don't know what to describe it. I mean, we saw what we got from Zach Plesak during his start. He didn't make it out of the second inning, uh, gave up seven hits, six runs, gave up a home run, walked one guy. Um, if if I'm being honest, and I understand a lot of people want to send him out of the rotation, maybe send him to the bullpen or even, you know, get rid of him at this point. And I can certainly understand that. He hasn't really been himself in a couple of years and what we thought he was going to be and what we saw him to be early on. But if I'm being honest, I mean, especially with Tristan McKenzie being out, as I mentioned, he might be somebody if you if you ask me who might just have to take his lumps in the rotation, because past that, I don't really see anybody that can go out there every fifth day and give you a decent start and sure he's not going to be that person but i i feel like the injuries and the lack of quality pitching at least consistent quality pitching since we have all these young guys you just don't know what you're going to get out of them just yet he's going to be somebody that i think gets a couple starts i'm not sure how many but a couple starts before you know what okay maybe you know this isn't going to work out so that first start, yeah, not a good one. Definitely a bummer. But I don't think that one start is going to be all that we see of him. There's going to be a while before, a while of consistently bad starts before, okay, please act, you're not it. And then, you know, he's out of the rotation. But past that, who are you going to, who are you going to throw out there? I think Hunter Gaddis is doing a good job. Um, he pitched six scoreless innings against Oakland. In his second start, he had a decent start against Seattle. Curry did do very well in relief against the A's, uh, you know, giving up only a couple runs in five innings. But if I had to bet, they don't want to hang their hat on these young guys just yet. I mean, after all, if McKenzie was still healthy, Hunter Gaddis wouldn't even be in the rotation right now. Not to mention the lack of consistency, consistency that we've seen out of Savali and Plesak, if they thought that these young guys could consistently be well, or at least to the, the level that you're getting from the starting pitchers now, then they'd be in the rotation. So uh, I'd be willing to bet that they don't yet want to do that and at least get them some more innings in relief or some spot starts and let the veterans kind of prove themselves before they just yank them out of the rotation and replace them with these young guys. Because at right now, they're still unproven. Uh, you see some nice performances, but you also can tell that they still have some growing to do uh, facing these major league hitters. Because, I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that major league baseball isn't the minor leagues. You know, uh, a guy who's struggling in the major leagues, you send him down and all of a sudden he looks like a Cy Young candidate. So uh, it, it'll be a while before these guys are consistently in the rotation and you see these guys every couple of days um, starting for, you know, these veterans that hopefully turn out, but it may not turn out. But speaking of the bullpen, I do want to highlight them because as much as I talk about the bullpen and not that I don't have faith in them, I just don't see them being as consistently good as our rotation, you know, when they're fully healthy. But these guys are going out now and performing really well. 
to my surprise, again, pleasantly surprised. But Trevor Steffen, who, you know, just got that contract extension through four games, has given up only one hit. De Los Santos has given up only one hit in four games. Nick Sandlin has only given up one hit in three games. And Class A, he did give up the blown save the other night, but he looks as dominant as he had ever has. And somebody who I picked to lead the league in saves this year. Um, so I'm definitely very surprised by the bullpen and how well they're pitching right now. You know, with the exception of James Karinchak, I think we all knew that coming into this season, it would be uh, an adjustment for him just with the pitching clock, um, with his routine. It's, it's going to take him a while to kind of get in the flow of that, trying to pitch a ball every 15 seconds at least. Uh, it, it's going to take him a while before he gets into the flow of performing well and being that setup guy that we saw him being a couple years ago before class a came in and shut the door so uh you know pleasantly definitely very surprised at what we're seeing out of the bullpen so far um hope it continues because i think with that and the pitching staff our pitching is going to be near the top of the league i mean we've always had good pitching that's no surprise but i really think the bullpen needs to step up and kind of uh, support the rotation because you don't want to have it where as soon as the starting pitching comes out, then the bullpen gives it up. And no, we haven't been that bad. We've seen teams that they just hate to go to the bullpen because they know that they're going to give it away. I mean, look at the, the Phillies compared to what they were last year. Um, I mean, that bullpen was atrocious. And every time the bullpen came in, they just gave up the lead that the starters worked so hard to get. And then you see what they did last year. But so I'm not saying that they're that bad. Definitely not. But I do think there needs to be more consistency out of the bullpen compared to what we're seeing from the starting pitching. So right now, um, definitely very surprised. Hope that they keep it up. Um, I, I do want to touch on the lineup for a second because uh, during that Seattle game, and not even just the Seattle series, what they're doing in Oakland right now, too. Um, it seems like everybody is kind of contributing. Uh, I mean, there are some exceptions, but it seems like everybody one through nine is is doing their part. Um, I mean, Mike Zanino, who just came over, uh, he's hitting 294 right now. So to be able to get some offense out of our catching position is definitely a plus because it's not something that we've seen in a couple of years. We're not used to that. Um, now it may seem like the defensive side may be a sacrifice as a result of that. And I'll touch on that in a second, but to get that, and he's already hit a home run and even Cam Gallagher, his backup is doing decent right now, um, but still better numbers. And we'll be getting out of our starting pitch, starting catching last season. Um, I think anybody will take that because that would just add more pressure to opposing pitching. Um, and hopefully, who knows, the bullpen can hold that lead if, if it gets to that point. Um, as, a, as of this recording, it's only been four wins. But in those four wins, the Guardians are hitting 285 as a team. And, you know, I know it's early, but I think that's a good sign that everybody is coming together to do their part and contribute to these wins. Now, during these losses and obviously has not been very many, um, they're hitting 188. So it seems like when they're hitting, when they're winning, everybody's on. But as soon as people struggle, it seems like everybody's struggling. And as I said, they're hitting below 200 with a 224 on base percentage as a team in those two losses. So 
not something that you really want to hang your hat on. Uh, and obviously it won't stay that low. We hope fingers crossed. Um, and they'll come out of it and produce more, even in losses, because, you know, even the good teams don't uh, fall apart. But going back to offense out of the catcher position um, there as a, you know, as a tandem, they're hitting 238 with a 360 on base percentage. Now, that could definitely be skewed by Gallagher, who's hitting uh, under 200 right now, or at least at the, you know, this recording. But Zanino is hitting 294, like I said, and already has a home run on the season. So if we're going to get that level of offense out of that position, that's just going to make everything better. But um, to touch on Zanino and the whole defensive side, um, you know, it's early. And I do want to stress that because only a week into the season is not going to be indicative of how well or bad a player is going to be the rest of the season. Um, His Catcher framing stat, you know, according to StatCast, right now it's at zero, and that's okay. But the concerning part is that his strike rate is at 39.2%. Um, but it wasn't that long ago when he was pretty good. Two years ago uh, with the Rays, it was at 51.7%, and his catcher framing runs was six. Now, last year he did miss a ton of the season due to injury, and even then his catcher framing runs was one. So that is a positive sign that I don't think he would just fall off this quickly when the two seasons prior to that in 2019 and 2020, uh, his catcher framing was combined was negative seven. So somebody who, you know, maybe ebbs and flows a little bit, but has proven that he can be a consistently good catcher uh, when it comes to framing. And like I said, it's early. He is trying to learn a new rotation. So that could be a part of it as well. Just going through these growing pains early in the season of catching these new faces and, and new pitches that he hasn't before. Um, so there's that. So I think that we should cut him a little bit of slack. It doesn't seem like his defense has cost us yet. I don't want, don't want to say yet, but who knows? It definitely could. Um, so that could definitely be a concern. And his pop time to second base right now is 2.1 seconds. And that's not great. Um, it doesn't seem that he has a great pop time across his career and it's only been two attempts this year, but 2.1 seconds is definitely something that's going to need to improve, uh, when guardians fans have been spoiled by the likes of Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez, and even Austin Hedges, who we can all acknowledge was a pretty good defensive catcher, despite what we were getting from offense. So not to say that he has big shoes to fill, but compared to what we were getting, um, this isn't up to par and, you know, it's only one side of his game, but being a catcher and being good defensively is a big part of the game. So, um, here's to hoping that he, it turns out to be a good signing because so far I think it has been, but like I said, it just give them some time. It's hard to judge a player off of one week of play. You know, there's a six month season, 162 games. You just don't know how a player is going to turn out. And I don't, well, I know that you can't base that off of what you see after one week, especially in this one week when you've seen Cam Gallagher three times already. So um, just just give it some time, pretty, you know. So uh, another guy I do want to touch on is Ahmed Rosario, uh, some guy who isn't performing well right now. And like I'm saying, that's OK. It's only been a week. Uh, last year through 
May, he hit 236, including 211 through the first two months of the season before hit 360 in June and, you know, really took off in the second half. And we saw what we, you know, got out of him, 11 home runs, 71 RBI. And that's something that I think could continue. Now, defensively, we understand that there are better arms out there. I have been on record being pro Ahmed Rosario and, you know, that could come back to bite me and that's okay. But for a guy who offensively hit over 280 with the 312 on base percentage last year, if I'm going to get that level of offense out of him and we understand that comparatively, he's not Francisco Lindor. We understand that. And he may not even be Andres Jimenez, who is a better defensive person, obviously. Um, He did get a gold glove at second base as well. Um, I don't think you can, or I I at least think it it may be unfair to compare the two because I think Rosario is doing his part and obviously has, has the trust of Tito and the coaching staff to be their everyday shortstop. And Last year, once he settled into that role, instead of being bounced around from shortstop and to the outfield, you know, the outfield has never been a position at any point in his professional career that he has played. And once he was able to settle in at shortstop, he was able to focus at the plate because that does carry over, uh, believe it or not. And he was able to produce. And I, I think I don't think that that was a fluke necessarily, you know, it's a cliche, but the numbers don't lie. And I think what we got out of him is something that we could get again, um, at least for his part, because he will be a free agent. So if he wants a a contract, whether it's here or elsewhere, or who knows what it's going to be, he's going to have to produce. I mean, bottom line, he knows that we know that because if he doesn't, there are guys that we can easily slide over there to take his place, including the guy playing right next to him who won a gold glove last year. So I think he understands that not that the pressure is on, but he's going to have to produce because there are guys coming up behind him that we can put in his spot and at the very least get better defensive numbers. And if you're Jimenez, you're going to also put up better offensive numbers. Um, So, yeah, again, it's only one week, but we just have to wait and see. I'm not going to put a bunch of weight on one week. What we get out of one week uh, to determine what we're going to get the rest of the season. I just think that's unfair. The season is too long and too brutal to base, you know, an entire guy's season on one week. Another guy I want to touch on is Josh Bell, Uh, another guy who is struggling mightily at the plate right now and maybe catches some flack for it on social media. But, you know, I I stress it again. It's only one week. Um, You know, this is somebody who has some pop in his bat, uh, can hit decently for average, uh, not somebody who's going to hit consistently over 300. Um, And you can call me naive and, and that's fine. I get it. But I think it's hard to base a season on one week and you know the past couple of years um he hit 27 home runs in 2021 hit 261 uh the next year with washington at least in the first half he was hitting 301 with 14 home runs prior to you know being traded to the padres um so this is somebody who we're expecting to hit decently well 
at least in the 260s, and provide 20 home runs. And I think that can still be the case, despite what we're seeing so far. Uh, he's hitting .095 right now through six games. So the numbers aren't good. We know that. and uh, But it's something that I think can improve. Now, don't look now. And I'm going to use the same thing I've been saying all episode, but this time to calm myself down is that it's still early. But Miles Straw, who has caught a lot of flack last year for not producing at the plate, understandably so, especially after a contract extension, uh, he's hitting 364 right now through a couple of bats in this Oakland game with an OPS of 909. And in spring training, he also hit 364, but had an OPS of 10:38. So this is somebody who, you know, so far seems to be seeing the ball better, is getting better swings on the ball, and is going to be pretty important for this offense if he wants to thrive because he needs to get on base uh, as much as he can, especially hitting at the bottom of the order. Somebody who's going to see mostly fastballs, he needs to capitalize on that. And turning the the top of the order over to Quan and Ramirez and I mean, Rosario, whether people like it or not, that's just going to provide more opportunities for him not only to steal bases and increase his his runs created, but for the guys behind him to get those run scoring opportunities and and drive him in because they need to take advantage of his speed, especially with these increased, these larger bases that we're seeing this year, um, which is going to be just crazy to watch these guys steal bases left and right. Even, you know, Ramirez, who, I mean, if he really wanted to, could have a 30-30 season. Um, Straw could have a 20-20 season, you know, 20 doubles, 20 steals. Um, they're going to take advantage and attack these bases because they know that not only are the bases bigger, but pitchers can only throw over there two times. Um, and that third time, if they throw over, they better get you out or you're going to be standing on second like, you know, you got walked pretty much. So very encouraging to see Malstraw be this good so far early in the season. And, you know, we hope it continues because he's going to be an important piece. He's going to be here for the next couple of years. Um, somebody that they can lean on to get the running game going to score runs because we know how the Guardians like to play. We're not somebody who is going to hit a bunch of home runs. We don't live by the home runs and we definitely don't die by the home run. As a result, you know, we get extra bases. We still, um, we take the extra 90 feet when we can, we play small ball and whether people like it or not. And I'm talking to the guys that, you know, are outside of Cleveland. We love that, you know, that, that old school base by base style of play that no, it's not exciting, but it, it, it's the hard work that gets the job done. And uh, it's it's uh, pleasant to see. But um, I want to move on to the pitch clock and how it seems to be working after a week of play. Um, opening day by the numbers, uh, the times are down about 26 minutes or so, uh, about two hours, 45 minutes. Now, I'm somebody that struggle to accept the pitch clock. I definitely accept it now. I mean, whether we like it or not, it's going to be there, but, and it's not because I'm some type of boomer or some old school person. It's really just because I love the game of baseball that much. And 
I understand that they want to speed up the game, that people think it's boring. Um, so I'm okay with it, but for me, it's it's shortening in shortening the time that we get to watch baseball. I want to see as much baseball as possible. Um, the other day, the the I believe the first game against Oakland was two hours and four minutes, and that's fine for the people that are in the stands and people who think baseball is boring. But me, I blink and it seems like the game is over. And that's not something that I care to see. And I understand this is a personal problem, whatever you want to call it. But I don't mind the three-hour games. The diehard baseball fans aren't going to care that games are routinely over three hours. They're not going to care that you know, a game could go into extra innings and maybe last another couple, two or three innings and a game approaches four hours. Those guys aren't going to care. And I certainly don't care. Um, So to see the pitch clock, I I'm okay with it now. I do think that maybe there needs to be a couple more seconds on the clock um, just to get guys more acclimated to having to speed up their their delivery, uh, their time at the plate. Uh, I mean, baseball is the ultimate game of superstition and repetition and just being um, being in a routine. I mean, these guys have a routine every day, and that's just what they're used to. And, you know, maybe that's just a sacrifice they need to take to market the game better because there's no doubt Major League Baseball and the commissioner need to market the game better. I mean – Say what you want, but my God, I'm not a fan of Manfred or anything that he does, Um, but that's just me. And I know he's not very popular amongst baseball fans in general, so I'm definitely not alone. But if I'm being honest, this may be the one thing that, you know what, this could be good for baseball. We'll see what they do next season. I'm not sure if the pitch clock will stay, if it's a a, a one-season kind of one-off thing, and we've seen it in the major leagues before, and by all accounts, it seems to be a success. Um, but I'll be honest, one thing that I don't really care to see is the pitch clock in the playoffs. I, I think what the pitch clock does is speed up those really important high leverage, uh, high stress moments in baseball that we see not only down the stretch in the regular season, but obviously going into the playoffs as well. Um, I mean, every pitch counts. We We know that. So for guys to have to be sped up and you're only allowed one timeout per plate appearance as a hitter. Um, I get it. You don't want to see a guy step off the mound five times. You don't want to see a guy throw over the first base six times. You don't want to see a hitter call a timeout every other pitch. Um, but if I'm being honest, that's, that's kind of the, the cat and the mouse game that you get from baseball and the, the mental warfare that you have between a pitcher and a batter. And while, yes, it, it may be refreshing to not see that anymore, um, I'm not so sure if these high leverage moments will be so high leverage anymore, if they'll be that entertaining that we get to see between division opponents, you know, in a, in a division race going into September or, um, you know, the division series or championship series in October with a, a trip to the World Series on the line. I just don't know if it'll be the same. Um, but if it is, then we have no choice but to accept it, and I'll have no choice but to accept it. And 
and move on from there because at the end of the day it is you know it's the same sport it's the same product um but for me it's it's not having as much baseball to watch and i'm not sure if anybody else has expressed this opinion this may be just me and it may be weird and that's okay but for me as someone who is a diehard person uh diehard fan of baseball i'm i don't care that games are routinely as long as they have been especially if i'm at a game there's nothing more that i love doing than going to a baseball game and being at the field and and being able to watch baseball in person um so the idea that it seems like they want to get people out as fast as possible um people who are going to the game and paying these ticket prices they don't care they're okay with sitting in the stands and and watching baseball as it is and how long it is but like i said that's just me um i just wanted to express that opinion because i i don't want the game of baseball as i know it to to change and that's not to say that i don't you know i i can't accept change i definitely can i'm open to changing the game and and making it more accessible and having more people play because i understand that it's not as popular as it as it used to be um but if we can definitely market the game to a wider audience and have more people show up um then that's great as well i mean being a guardians fan any guardians fan knows that it's a struggle most of the time to get fans to come to games, even when they're good. Um, and we all can at least, you know, try to hypothesize why that may be, but it, it's nothing more beautiful to me than seeing of the 40,000 or so seats that we have at progressive field. I still call it Jacobs field from time to time, but um to see 30,000 of those maybe filled uh, on, on a nice weekend day or um, during the week, if there's a good matchup, uh, there's nothing better to me than seeing that. And right now, the only time you get that is if the Yankees are in town or the Red Sox are in town. You know, we all know those bandwagon fans are going to show up and teams like that, their fans travel well, uh, you know, when they're on the road. But it's a struggle to see crowds like that show up only in those instances. And I think if we can have more opportunities to fill those seats on a regular basis, then that's good. So um, I definitely take it with a grain of salt, what the pitch clock is doing for the game. Um, The time that it's shaving off, I think is very minimal. Like I said, um, 26 minutes for opening day. I think it's about 30 minutes shaved off during the first week. And is it really going to make that big of a difference for a person that's not necessarily a bandwagon fan, but more of a casual fan that there there's 30 less minutes that they spend watching baseball or spend in their seat. I don't think it matters that much to me. If we're talking about an average time now, a 10 inning win against Oakland, obviously that's a difference between a two hour and four minute game. Um, but if on average you're saving 30 minutes or even less than that, then to me, it doesn't really matter because the baseball fans are going to show up anyway. They're going to watch no matter what. And I'm one of those people, but I don't know. It It's a battle because, I under, uh, like I said, I understand that what they're trying to do 
I just don't know if this way is going to be as successful or accomplish what they want because the times aren't super dramatic. And sure, we don't want on a consistent basis to have a game that's an hour or 40. I think that's ridiculous, but I don't know. I don't love it, but uh, I understand where it's going. And at the end of the day, I, I have no choice but to accept it. So I will. So um, there's that. Uh, I hope that it doesn't affect the game too much, but that's where we're going. And if it'll bring more people to the game, then that'll be the one thing that Rob Manfred does well during his tenure as commissioner. So I guess I have to give him his credit for that. But on that note, uh, that is it for this week's episode. Uh, looking for a series win against Oakland and looking forward to that home opener against Seattle going into the weekend. It's already sold out. The home opener is. Um, so I'm hoping for some good crowds. We'll have some good weather. Um, hoping that, you know, the seats will be filled with more adults and, and the kids. We understand that uh, the school not school season, but school is still in session pretty much. So it's going to be a while before you see people show up uh, on a regular basis, these large crowds that we love to see. But here's to, you know, another series win against Seattle. We took three out of four against them last week. And who's to say we can't take two out of three and get another series win at home this weekend. So here's to that. And um, see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Guardians.